Hey. Yeah. If after listening to what we had to say this morning in the time about culture, if you, any of you are in, interested in our uh, two-month to marriage dating program, we have it for sale in the back. You don't need to know no woman before you get married. <laughs> it was longer than two months. How long was it? On August 12th, it will be 23 years. <laughs> 23, right? <laughs> Just kidding. Yeah. Good evening, everyone. I have some business to take care of here. Oh, I need to turn this on. That'd be the first order of business right there. There we go. Some business to take care of the Beckmans. You may or may not be surprised to know I got another note on my pillow <laughs> this morning, shockingly. And here's what it has. Would you like to hear it? Sure. It says this. Dear Dad, we love you. We think you're cool and stuff. But we don't appreciate you reading our note in front of all the campers. <laughs> That wasn't very cool. <laughs> it's been difficult, really difficult, trying to explain to other campers that you're really not our dad. <laughs> However, after some negotiation with Hudson and Naya, we have agreed for another 20 bucks, we are okay if you show our faces on the screen. So there they are. That is the family in all our glory. Ryan, 18, Hudson, 17, and of course, Naya, 7. I have some other business I feel I need to take care of. Fwad, where, Fwad, where you at, buddy? Dr. Fwad, there you are. So this morning, man, I got preached to at breakfast before I even got one piece of cinnamon roll in my mouth. Coffee cake. What, it, what, what is it? What it? Yeah, that. Before I ate some. <laughs> Fwad makes a beeline over to the table and he says, tell me about biblical love and the word hate. And I was starting to feel guilty. He said, the word hate is a very strong word. In fact, the Bible tells us to love our enemies. Oh, man. How could you hate Iowa State? Such a strong word like that. I can't believe you as a missionary would use the word hate like that. Oh, man. And then this morning, and our discussion this morning about talking about going into other cultures and being willing to adapt yourself and to learn new things so that you can reach those people in other cultures. You know what I'm saying? What's a guy like me supposed to do? No. 
I feel so dirty. <laughs> but, again, I love Fouad. I've only known him for two days now. I, I love Fouad, and he loves Iowa State. <sighs> so, Brother Fouad, after this evening service, I got a t-shirt for you. <laughs> or there could be a t-shirt burning. <laughs> Yeah, now that I've got you on my side, Romans chapter 12. <laughs> Romans chapter 12, riding for the brand. I cannot believe. This. <laughs> Pastor Phil, I'm, I'm really sorry. <laughs> I feel like we should just close in prayer <laughs> or have an invitation. I, I have some stuff I've got to confess. <laughs> riding for the brand is the brand we're riding for. Is it really what we're doing here? Is it really authentic? Are we the, the real thing? Tonight we're going to spend some time in one verse in cha Romans chapter 12. Another verse that God used, another verse that I've known all my life. This one I really did memorize as an Awana boy back when I was probably seven or eight. I've known this all of my life, and I knew the command in the verse, but I didn't see the information around it. When I saw the information around it, this was a verse that God used to change my life. We're going to look at the Bible quite a bit, so you're going to need your Bible because I didn't put all these verses up that we're going to look at in the book of Romans on screen. So you're going to need this. And I'd like you to stick with me. We're going to work through some stuff, some verses, pretty quickly. These verses right here, especially Romans chapter 12, verse 1, the truth of this verse around the command God used to change my life forever. Let's read this together. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Whatever translation you're reading, fine. I'm reading from the ESV. Let's just try to read it together as best we possibly can. Hopefully we end in the same place. So here we go. Ready? One, two, three. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. I was happy to be saved when I was 16 years old. I was happy that that part of my life was taken care of. After that seven months in Thailand, my parents allowed me to go home and finish up my senior year at Grandview in Des Moines. I could not wait. I couldn't wait to get back to America because I knew, not just because of the convenience of America, but I knew that once I get back to America, I, I would get healthy. I was deathly sick. I didn't get truly better until I came back to the state. So I could not wait to come back to America to get healthy. And based on my experience in Africa, I knew what this verse said. I knew the command. In fact, when I was at Faith and we had preaching class, the Dr. Turk, the, the teacher of apologetics at the time, he taught us that if you're going to be in my class, you're going to start your, pre your preaching and your purpose statement is going to be God wants you to. Do you remember that, Faith student? God wants you to. From this verse, it's really easy to catch the, God catch the God wants you to command, right? Super simple. From this verse, what is it? God wants you to what? What's the action verb? Yeah, present your body, surrender your bodies as a living sacrifice. 
I knew what this verse meant. I knew the command, but based on my experience in Africa, I was scared to death to do anything based on what this verse said. Africa to me was a place where I got deathly sick. Thank God I got saved, but I could not wait to get back to America. After my parents had been in Africa for a year, just over a year and a half, the middle of my senior year of high school, we get a call from my parents in Africa saying that they needed to come home in an emergency situation because they found that my mom had cancer and she needed to be treated immediately. That was one more thing in my own heart and in my own mind that said sacrificing, presenting myself to God, giving my life completely to God. I know what God wants me to do. There's no way I'm doing that. I love God. I was happy to be saved. I was willing to serve God, but no way, no way was I going to be a missionary. I went off to faith, and I took a ministry major. At faith, I traveled on ministry team Faith Alive for three years. I was in that time at faith. I studied to be a youth pastor. After faith, two years after faith, I was a program director at a Baptist camp out in Ohio for a year, and I was a program director at a Baptist camp in Pennsylvania for a summer. And after that, no one asked me to be their youth pastor, and there were no full-time camp jobs waiting for me. I told God, I'll do anything you want me to do, Lord, if it involves camping or youth ministry. Nothing came up. No one called me. No one was beating down my door. So in my mind, I thought, I guess... God just wants me to work a job and make money. So moved back to where my parents were living and got a job and made money. And during that time, that, there was a period of two years, I was working, making money, and it was miserable. I don't know if you, maybe you're not old enough where you've had that particular job because you get a summer job or thing, but it was the kind of job that in the morning... You wake up and you dread going to work. I could work my own hours. I could work my own hours as long as I got the work done. I could work any time, whatever time of day. So that dread caused me to get up later and later and later. So I'd, I'd start work at 10 o'clock in the morning. The problem was I'd finish at 9 o'clock at night, and it was miserable. I hated it. I never quit going to church. Still went to church every Sunday. Still involved as a youth sponsor in our youth group at our church in Ohio. But I was miserable. Finally, it was Christmas time of that year. It was the Sunday before Christmas. And if you, you know, what's church like the Sunday before Christmas? During Christmas season. Everyone who's not there during the year is there. The songs are extra loud. It's crowded. My church at that time, we hadn't moved into our new building. So we had two services. We had an 8 o'clock in the morning service and like an 11 o'clock in the, in, the, in the morning service. My parents would go to the 8 o'clock, and there's no way I was waking up that early to go to church. And I would go to the late service. So it was the Sunday before Christmas. I go to the late service, and I, my friends aren't there that day, so I sit, and I sit in the very back row, and the songs are extra loud because the church is extra full, extra joyful because everyone knows Christmas songs. And I, I was sitting in the back, and I couldn't sing. When we started the second song, the, the, the music pastor said, let's stand up for this and we'll sing. The crowd stood, stood up, I stood up, 
I walked out of church and I went home. I walked in the door. My mom was the first one to see me. My mom, whoa, did church get out early? I said, no, mom, the church didn't get out early. And before I could even start talking more, I started to cry. And I said, I don't know what's wrong with me, but this isn't the life for me. And for the next four hours, I just poured my heart out to my mom and dad, saying, I don't know what God has for me. This is not it. And that day, the Sunday before Christmas, I won't tell you the year, the Sunday before Christmas, I told God, God, this is my prayer. I'll go anywhere. I'll do anything if you just allow me to go to bed at night and not hate the job I do. I'll do anything. I think even in my prayer I said, I'll be a janitor at a church for the rest of my life as long as I don't hate the job I do. I surrendered at that moment. And I was reminded of the truth and this truth of this verse right here, not in the command. We understand the command based on all Christ has done for us, right? God wants you to surrender, to yield, to give in, to stop the fight, and then present your bodies as living sacrifices. But I don't want to spend all the time on that. From what we've learned before, we understand what this is talking about. I want to talk about why. From this verse, why should we completely surrender to Christ? Why should you give in to the fight that you're fighting with God even tonight to complete and total surrender if you haven't? Have you ever noticed that not only does this verse tell us what we should do, we should present our bodies, but it also tells us why. We, why we should present our bodies as vessels for service in God's use. Why is that? Paul says from the very, at the very beginning of this verse, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by what? By the mercies of God. What is mercy? What's mercy? In this verse, Paul uses the word mercy. Why didn't he use the word grace? I beseech you, I beg you by the grace of God. I beg you by the love of God. Why does Paul use the word mercy? And in fact, what's the difference between grace and mercy? In my church in Bangkok, this is how I describe the difference between grace and mercy. They're not the same. They're related, but they're not the same. When I think of grace, and when you think of grace from now on, if you think of Nate Beckman, think of happy birthday. Grace. What is grace? Getting good stuff that you don't deserve. Have happy birthday. Did you do anything worthy of getting birthday presents? All you did to get those birthday presents, you were just born on that day, and you have very little to do with that. Happy birthday. That's grace. Getting good things that you don't deserve. Mercy. Here's what I tell my people in Thailand. When, when you think of mercy, think of this. Whew. Because what is mercy? Mercy is not getting the punishment that you do deserve. Grace, getting the good stuff you don't deserve. Mercy, not getting the bad stuff that you do deserve. Here Paul says in this verse right here, mercy, when we talk about, he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God... Mercy, when we talk about it, it's not nearly as fun as grace, is it? Mercy isn't fun. It's not exciting. It's great. 
but it's not something that we sit around, hey, th- that's fun because mercy forces us to think about our condition before we knew Christ as our Savior. I beseech you, I beg you, I plead with you by the mercy of God. Mercy is not receiving the just punishment for our sin the way we deserve to receive that punishment. What's so significant? When Paul says here, I beg you by the mercies of God, what's so significant about God's mercy to us, young people? What is so great that Paul says, by the mercy of God, if we are going to understand the value of mercy of God, as Paul says it in this verse, we first need to understand how God viewed us before Christ died for us. How did God look at Nate Beckman? How did God look at you? How did God view you before Christ died? Romans tells us, and this is where I want you to stick with me. Go back to Romans 1. Romans 1 tells us, Romans actually, Romans 1 through 3, all three chapters explain very clearly how God viewed mankind. This is God's view of man. This may not be your view of yourself, but this was God's view of you. This was God's view of mankind before Christ died for us. This is how we looked in the eyes of God. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. Here we go. We're not going to read every verse. We're just, I'm just going to yell some verses and we're going to read them. Romans 1, 18 says what? For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness do what? Suppress the truth. Man chose evil and suppressed the truth. Romans 1.21, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Even though we knew God existed, even though we knew God was real, we did not honor him or thank him. Romans 1.25, because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the, cre- the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever, amen. We exchanged the true God for idols made by human hands. Romans 1.28, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to their debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents. It's very interesting that in this list of really bad stuff, Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, says, and they were disobedient the parents. To what level did mankind go? Hop over to chapter 3 of Romans. Flip over to chapter 3, starting in verse 10. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. 15, their feet are swift to shed blood and in their paths are ruin and misery. 17, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. I know we don't look at ourselves this way, but this is how God viewed us. 
This is what we looked like in the eyes of God. Friends, what do these verses say about us? How did we look? We were fallen. We by choice had turned our backs on God. We had no hope. We were not searching for God. We weren't looking for salvation. We had put God in the position of punishing us and our sins. God had every right to punish us. And we were completely deserving of that punishment. If God did not do something, we would be heading for punishment in hell. But instead of punishing us, God chose to do what? This is how God viewed us, Romans 1 through 3. We rejected God completely and we had put God in the position of completely wiping us out. But Romans 5, Romans 5, look at verse 6. For while we were still weak at that time, Christ died for the ungodly. Verse 8, but God shows his love for us and that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. Verse 10, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. In these three verses, 6, 8, and 10, it describes three more characteristics of what we were, were we before God. We were weak, couldn't help ourselves. We were sinners. We'd made our choice. And we were what in verse 10? What were we? Enemies. And while we were that, Christ died for us. Friends, young people, that is mercy. God had the right to eradicate both our sin and us, but he chose not to do away with us. Instead, he loved us and forgave us. Mercy is not receiving the punishment that we deserve for our sin. Why? I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. What does this scream to us tonight? What does this tell us? God's mercy. God, because God intends us no harm at all. God did not want you to perish. He does not want you to have sorrow. He does not want you to have disappointment. He wishes you only good. If God did not wish us harm, guys, if God did not wish us harm when we had fallen into sin, when we looked like Romans 1 through 3, if God did not wish us harm then, do you think, how do you think he feels towards us now? now that we're his children. If God did not wish us harm when we had fallen into sin, why would he wish us harm when he asks us to surrender it all back to him? Because God did not wish us harm while we were in sin, oh, young people, we can be confident that he wishes us absolutely no harm at all when he asks us to present our bodies as living sacrifices. He had every right and the ability and the opportunity because we had given that opportunity to him to just wipe us out. And instead, Christ died for us. This is the mercy that we see 
in Romans 12.1 when Paul says, I beg you by the mercies of God that you present your bodies as sacrifices to God. I beg you. He's saying what? He's saying because of the truth that God means you no harm when he asks you to surrender. You can give in. You can surrender with complete confidence that he never will do anything simply to hurt you. Can you find anyone else in this world who would never desire, who would always, always desire just good for you? There's not one out there. It's, I know it's, it's scary to surrender. If it wasn't, people would be flocking to the mission field. People, if God didn't pull the trigger on us when he had every right, he will never do that when we're his children. Give in. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Why? Because of the mercy of God. God's mercy reminds you, reminds me. He means us no harm. There's another reason in these verses, or in this verse right here, why we need to present our bodies as living sacrifices. It's found at the end of the verse. The second reason is found there at the very end. It says, because of the mercies of God, we are to present our bodies as living sacrifices, wholly acceptable unto God. And then he says in the one version, it says, which is your reasonable service? In the ESV, it says, which is your spiritual worship? Why are there two different translations? Why are there two different uses of words there? What is this talking about? Well. I'm not a Greek scholar, but I think there's one Greek word here that once I say it, it's going to be pretty easy to get. That word reasonable or spiritual in the ESV, it's spiritual. The word in the Greek is logiken. And we don't have to be geniuses to, what does that sound like? Logiken. Logic. Here Paul is saying, and then there's this word in one, in one version it says worship, and another one it says service. The word there is latreia. That was a very specific term used for priests when they would go about doing their work in the temple as acts of worship because the regular Jewish person didn't have the opportunity to do that or the authority. So Paul is saying here what? I beg you because of the mercy of God, that God means you no harm. Present your bodies as living sacrifice, wholly acceptable in him, which is your what? Your logic in Latreia. Your logical, that word there, service or worship. It was the, this word right here. What's Paul saying? I beg you, I plead with you, surrender to Christ because why? In Paul's understanding and in the understanding of the Christians in that generation, serving and worshiping God was not just singing songs and not just gathering on Sundays, but it was what, according to this verse? Surrendering. Because of the truth here, what's the reason then? Because of the truth that Paul says in this verse, God wants us to surrender because not just because of his mercy, but because surrender is 
the most logical, the most logical way to worship God. So we could read Romans 12:1 this way. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy, acceptable unto God, which is the most logical form of worship. Guys, where am I going with this? Worship is not just singing songs. If we tried to say that, can you imagine how those first century Jewish, or not just Jewish, those first century Christians in Rome and other cities would have thought? Here Paul is saying what? Giving your life to God is the most logical way to worship God, which is your reasonable, logical service. So going along with our camp theme, writing for the brand. What is a question that we probably need to ask ourselves based on Romans 12.1? If last night's question was, am I truly saved? What might tonight's be? Not just, am I surrendered? That's part of it. I think it forces me to say, is my worship authentic? Or do I just sing songs? And, and the moment that I sing the song, it feels really great. I'm really in. Let me ask you this. How do you view the truth that God wants you to surrender yourself completely to him? I know that for some people, view this view, surrendering their lives to Christ is something that's scary. Dedicating our lives to him is going to make us have a terrible life. We'll probably be poor, fat. It's not going to be fun. We'll be bald. I'll probably have to marry someone ugly. There's no honor. And most importantly, serving, surrendering one life to the Lord means that you probably have to give up all your dreams too. Because as soon as you make eye contact with the missionary, you just know that God's going to call you to be a missionary. So don't look at him. Because it's going to ruin everything. Don't have a conversation with him. Because even if you say hi, they're just going to sell stuff like, like Amway or something. It's going to be worse than that. You're going to stuck being a missionary in Booga Booga Land forever. And everything's going to be done. We, don't, we would never say that out loud, but I, I wonder if we think that way. If we knew for certain that God wanted us to surrender our lives so that we could be a millionaire, oh, that'd be a line. And the reason why we struggle, I truly believe, is because we have forgotten, or maybe we've never known or never realized, God never means you harm. So when he asks you to give it all, it's for good. I shared in the time Summit Seekers earlier this afternoon, 
my parents, we moved to Iowa when I was almost five because I was the youngest of three. My dad went to Bible college for seven years because he had to support a family and go to Bible college seven years. After seven years of Bible college, he graduated. He took a, work, a year off to work to pay off his debt. Then they joined Baptist Mid-Missions when I was in seventh grade. Took them three and a half years to raise their support. They prepared to be missionaries forever. And we get to Africa and not a year and a half into living out their dream, my mom got cancer. They had to come back to the States. They were in the States for more than a year so my mom could be treated for her cancer. They got the clear. They get to go back. They go back to Africa. They're, they're there about another year. Another phone call. My mom has cancer again. They have to come home. And they never went back. I don't know if my dad ever led a Central African to Christ. He taught in a Bible school, so he taught pastors. I don't know if he ever led someone to Christ in Africa. I know he led me to the Lord. And now the gospel goes in Asia. You guys, you know it. You can feel it. Losing that family stinks. There's nothing, there's nothing worse than that. But God doesn't mean you any harm. I know some of you in your hearts, you've been gripped with this before, maybe at previous camps where you're willing to give in 75%. There are certain, there's a bunch of things you're willing to do, but please, Lord, please don't do that. And that's not really true surrender at all. Give in. If he wanted to harm you, he had his opportunity and he didn't take it. Give in. Stop fighting. Maybe there's some that are still here, that are here right now who still haven't accepted Christ. You know the truth. You've heard it before. You believe all the right words, but you have not given your life to Christ. He means you no harm. Trust him. And let him give you the life of peace and joy that only God can create. Let's close our eyes, bow our heads. In the quietness of this moment, let God win in your heart. Is there someone here tonight that you know God is working in your heart? Is there someone here that you know God wants you to make a decision of obedience? And you'd be even honest enough to admit that you're fighting that right now. Would you raise your hand? You know God has something for you. He wants you to obey in some way, but you're fighting. Would you raise your hand? I don't know your name, so I would never embarrass you. I just want to pray for you. Anyone else? Thank you. Thank you. Hands going around. Anyone else? Thank you. You can put your hand down. Are there others here 
that no, I need to make a decision about obedience in some way tonight. Would you pray for me? Would you raise your hand? Anyone else? Thank you. You can put your hand down. Thank you. Anyone else? Surrender tonight. Let this be the night where you give all, knowing that God means you no harm. Lord, work even now. Have a victory right here, right now, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.